And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a terrific weekend. Um, Yeah, I'm doing all listener mail today. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks since I've done it, so I'm answering your questions exclusively on the podcast today. I had some good ones. Um, We we have some really good questions and some funny, sarcastic questions as well, so I will try to uh, get to all of them if I can. I have to keep it short, but I will make it up to you uh, with a longer episode on Wednesday. Uh, Before I get to uh, listener mail, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you are on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. Um, uh, Yeah, and if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the NoGimmicksPodcast. All right, uh, let's jump right into listener mail. Let's have some fun. Um, All right. First question, what do you think... Oh, man. See, I'm going to get this one out of the way because it bothered me. Um, What do you think about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle leaving the royal family? Okay. I'm not going to, because I'm going to make fun of you, dude who is asking me this question, um, I'm not going to say your name, uh, but I clicked on your Twitter handle, and the, the the person who is asking this question is, or at least appears to be, um, a straight male from the United States in their, call it, mid to late 20s. So, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I don't know anything about... I, I I couldn't even remember the guy's name, Prince Harry. I thought it was like William or something like that. I don't know. Wh- whatever. William seems more like a British prince name than Harry. But, you know, whatever. Prince Harrison? It's strange. And anyway, who cares? I, I don't know anything about these people. I don't care. You know, whatever. And, dude, why... Really? This is your. This is what you wanted me to talk about? The British royal family? Who cares? Get your life together. Get your life together. All right. Next question. Let me see. Uh, Here's a good one. Here's a good one from a buddy of mine. Uh, Which newspaper makes the better birdcage liner, the New York Times or the Washington Post? Please keep in mind that that the Washington Post is 7.2% more absorbent. All right. See, I'm going to take this in a different direction. Uh, I'm going to take this in a different direction. Um, Look. It's not just the big name papers that are the enemy of the American people. Okay, it's the small ones too. There's a handful of of newspapers that lean right. I mean, I, I like the Wall Street Journal. They they're uh well, I mean, their normal news coverage is is pretty slanted to the left, but they at least have conservatives uh, writing op eds for them. But look, I mean, chances are your local newspaper is a piece of trash too. <laughs> I mean, it's not just uh, Wapo and the New York Times that are that are communist apologists. Your local newspaper probably is as well. At least I know mine is here in Toledo, Ohio. So I'd say we should be equal opportunity slayers of the corporate press, and we should defile our local newspapers as well. So, look, I honestly, I would just use your local newspaper as, as birdcage liner. I don't really, I don't have any birds, so um, I don't need to line a birdcage, but, uh, you know, I do go fishing all the time, and, and when you 
clean and gut fish, you obviously need to lay some newspapers down. You don't want to get your table on, on the back porch all dirty with uh, fish blood and guts. I mean, obviously, you don't want to you don't want to piss off the wife. So, uh, you know, make sure you have uh, plenty of your local newspaper. I don't actually get the new- newspaper. I don't want to, you know, support these monsters financially. So I just go to my neighbors and say, "Hey, uh, before you throw your paper in the recycling, just hand it to me. I need it to, you know, to bury fish guts in." So, you know, whether you're gutting fish or, or lining a bird cage, you know, look, if you don't have a local newspaper, uh, obviously, both of those papers make for incredible fish gut holders. And birdcage liners, uh, the the Times and the Post. But, hey, we should be equal opportunity opponents of the corporate press, and we should defile our local newspapers as well. Uh, hope hope that helps, guys. Hope that helps. Um, a couple questions, a couple questions um, about just podcasting in general. So I want to answer both of those um, real quick. Uh, what is your advice to somebody who wants to start a political podcast? Um Okay, I, I think I've answered this before on the show, but if not, I'll just start from the beginning. I'll, I'll start with, this, this is the exact same advice I get when I'm on tour with the band, and, and younger musicians will ask me, you know, what's your advice to somebody who wants to tour professionally, be a professional musician? And I'll give the same advice in, in terms of podcasting. If you can do anything else and be happy, do it. <laughs> like, if you can... Not even be, if you can just be satisfied with your life and not do it, then do that. If you can do anything else and be content, do it. Like that's what I tell young musicians. I'm like, the music industry sucks, man. It is brutal. It is competitive. It is demeaning. It is depressing. You work a hundred hour weeks and you make hardly any money. You know, just go to law school. <laughs> you know, like go go do something else. Go be a doctor. You know what I mean? I remember this uh, uh, UFC fighter, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, one of my favorite fighters. Uh, actually, I think he's fighting next week. But I remember like a, a, a fan asked him once at a press conference, like, you know, what's your advice to some young kid who, who's been, you know, training jujitsu or whatever and wants to uh, wants to become a professional fighter? And he said, go to med school. <laughs> you know, I think that's good advice. You know, if you can get away with doing anything else and be happy, go do that. Um, but if you really want to do this, if you really want to start a podcast, and I've advised a couple people, I've told a couple people uh, who have been guests on the show that they should start a podcast. Just a couple. Most people should not start a podcast. You know, but if you really want to do it, you really want to do it, there's a bunch of things that you need to have in order first. One, you need the right equipment. And actually, I have another question that I'll get to in a second about you know what equipment I use. But you need to be bringing something fresh to the conversation. You can't just like, oh, I like talking about politics. Let's let's start a political talk show. No, that that's not enough. That's just not enough. You can't just be a fan of Ben Shapiro or a fan of Joe Rogan podcast or just a, a fan of Steven Crowder or Dave Rubin or whatever and say, I want to do that. If, if that's your mindset, like, oh, I like this show. I like your show, Brady. I want to do something just like it. Don't. Stop. <laughs> Turn around. Don't do it. That is a horrible, horrible idea. You know, you need to see a gap in the market. You need to see some daylight in the market, right? You need to notice that there is a demographic or a, just a, a point of view or something that is lacking, that's being underserved. And you need to have that skill set to serve that underserved market. Okay, like, don't just, just because you like this show, don't say, hey, I want to do something just like it. Because 
chances are I'm much better than you at that. Okay. Like don't you can't just be a fan of Ben Shapiro and say, Hey, I want to do a Ben Shapiro style, you know, commentary show. No, I mean Ben Shapiro is gonna crush you because he's better than you at this. You know, and that I put a lot of thought into that. Me and Josiah, my former co host who started the show with me, we put a lot of thought into this, you know, when we started the show three years ago, you know, like and we, we planned for months. Like we'd made the decision we were going to start the show like five or six months before we actually did it. There was a lot of planning, a lot of talking, throwing ideas around. Like, what do we want this to look like? You know, and we we settled on the format of somewhere in the middle between a punditry show and a, a you know a Joe Rogan style long form conversational show. And so we kind of do both with our own you know, but it's coming from me, a perspective of somebody who's been a professional artist for over a decade and has traveled the country and seen and done everything and, and everything else. And that, inf- that affects my opinions on, on the world and politics and, and culture and everything else. You, you need to find a niche in the market, something that's in your wheelhouse and go for it. You can't just try to out Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro. Like I, I can't do that. I can't just cover the news in just a straightforward way like Ben Shapiro, because I'm not, a Harvard-educated lawyer who has written dozens of books about this stuff. Like, I can't do Ben better than Ben. You know, Steven Crowder's a professional comic, okay? I can't do bits and, and jokes and sketches and stuff all the time. Like, I, I can't do that because I can't out Steven Crowder, Steven Crowder. Like, I would fail at that. I have to do what I do best, and I have to serve that gap in the market that I felt was underserved, okay? And that's what you have to do. You have to figure out your niche what's your target audience? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Don't just jump into a crowded market and just try to swim in the deep end because that's ridiculous, right? Like, here's an example. In in the, you know, my, my band's had a bunch of songs that have done really well on, uh, on like, Christian radio, right? And there's, like, there's three Christian music radio stations in in Northwest Ohio where I'm from. And... One of them was like the real soft, like uh, church music, praise and worship music, uh, and then one's like kind of basically that, but you know they might do a little bit of rock, a little bit of hip hop, or real soft stuff. And then one was like the rock and hip hop channel, and this station, uh, I don't want to say who it is because I'm friends with a lot of people that run it and stuff. So and I'm kind of making fun of them now, but. They they had some financial difficulties, and they decided, for some reason, and this is the dumbest idea ever, to stop playing the... Because the other two stations have way more money, are funded by bigger corporations and stuff, and th- this rock station is like the local listener-funded station. And they're like, well, these other two stations are doing better, so we're going to ditch the rock, ditch the hip-hop, and just play church music like the other guys. Because they thought, well, those other two stations are making money, so we're going to do what they're doing. That's insane, and the station's doing much worse now because they gave up what made them unique and are directly trying to compete with two other stations with larger listenership and more money behind them. It's like, how on earth do they think that was a good idea? So if you're starting a podcast, don't do that. Don't go, hey, I really like Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm going to try to do Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan has 15 million downloads an episode. The dude's a multimillionaire. He's world famous. He's a household name. You're not going to out Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, okay? And don't just don't listen. I'm not saying my show is wildly successful. You might have noticed that I'm not advertising for any products this week because I don't have any sponsors this week. You know, like we are growing, and thank you guys so much for listening and sharing and everything. We are growing, and you know, sometimes we get sponsors and everything else. But like, don't just because you like this show, don't try to outdo me. Don't try to out 
Brady Brady because I'm going to crush you. I'm better at being me than you are. So <laughs> you have to find something unique. You have to put more thought into it than just, hey, I like talking about politics. Let's just hit record and talk about politics. You need to, it, it, it takes a lot more planning, a lot more thought than that. Um, and don't do it. Don't start a podcast. <laughs> you know, I don't mean that. Maybe you should. Maybe it is your calling to start a political talk show. If you need to do it, if it's just in your gut, in your spirit that you need to do this, do it, but do it the right way. If you can be happy doing anything else, do anything else. I give young musicians the same advice. It's not very uplifting advice, but <laughs> it is true in most cases. Uh, and then another question on the podcasting front is, how do you do prep and what kind of equipment do you use? Well, first, the equipment. I I, uh, I mean, I'm in the process of upgrading some gear because I do need to upgrade some gear, but... Literally, I have a crappy $200 laptop, and then my recording equipment, I just have a a, a cheap $100 Focusrite two-channel uh, interface that plugs right into my computer. Easy to use, very simple, and I my mic is a $150 mic. I have a bunch of mics because I'm a professional musician, but my podcasting mic is a uh, Blue Encore 2. It's literally like 150 bucks at Guitar Center and Sam Ash and all that, and it sounds great. I mean, like, this mic is... I have no complaints. It's a it's a very great uh, podcasting mic, and different mics work better with different people's voices too. I mean, you learn this if you're in the recording studio as a musician, as a musician, but it works in podcasting too. Like some mics just don't work with my voice very well. You know, it might bring out the wrong kind of tones. It might sound a little shrill or something like that, or you know. And then some mics work better. I found this mic; it it really works, meshes well with my voice, and. I mean, look, all of the equipment combined is like 450 bucks, and that's including my laptop, which I didn't buy for podcasting purposes. So, like, you don't need to drop a ton of money on equipment. It's got to be equipment that's easy to use. You know, it's in your wheelhouse. Don't download. And I, I record on Audacity, which is an extremely simple program to use. Um, I mean, if you aren't ex- an experienced producer, don't buy some $1,000 mic and download the newest Pro Tools version of Pro Tools that you're never going to be able to figure out how to use, and yeah, you know, like you don't. It's not necessary. Okay, I mean my audio quality is just as good as just about any other podcast, and my equipment is you know one tenth the cost of <laughs> of most other podcasts. So it's not all about the equipment, but you you need adequate uh, equipment, of course. And uh, for prep, I mean, I just for prep, it's not about like getting the information. You can always dig up information and statistics and facts on what you want to talk about. My biggest hurdle in terms of prepping for shows is making sure my opinions aren't influenced by like other conservatives and libertarians. Like I, I stay away from other podcasts. I stay away from cable news. I stay away. I like, I like to see what other people are saying, but I don't want to hear punditry. Like I'm not going to listen to Ben Shapiro or Jonah Goldberg or somebody talk about an issue that I'm going to be talking about on the podcast. I don't want to be, I mean, I would never plagiarize them, obviously. I, I would ne- I would never try to rip somebody off, but I don't even want to be subconsciously influenced by somebody else's opinion. I want to read the facts. I want to formulate my own opinion and see what happens. I, and, you know, so I try to stay away from other content um, before I do a podcast. And, you know, like Monday through Wednesday, I really don't listen to very many podcasts. I, I try not to be influenced by anybody. I want to... You know, the audience deserves to hear what I think and how I feel about these issues, not somebody else. I'm not going to, like, listen to Andrew Clavin's podcast and then do a podcast. I mean, I don't want to open my mouth and have Andrew Clavin come out. That would be pointless. Why would you listen to the show? So it's not even about 
finding the facts and the stats and and you know it, it's about kind of avoiding commentary while making sure I have all my facts straight and stuff that's kind of the, the hurdle that I go through so we have a couple questions about uh, about the Middle East and, and war generally so let's jump right into it obviously it's something I've been talking about a lot lately it's a great question from a friend of mine uh, a friend of the show it's clear that the majority of Americans oppose the wars in the Middle East. Considering that we have a president with fairly strong populist leanings, how can we best apply pressure to Donald Trump to bring the troops home? Okay, this is a great question. Um, this is something we've been talking about a lot lately. I'm a libertarian. I'm a non-interventionist. But I don't think this, this answer is going to make very many libertarians happy. Yes, the American people are against the wars in the Middle East, kind of. I mean, if you just ask them, if you do polling and you ask the question, do you think we should have troops in the Middle East 20 years after we started these wars? They're going to say no. I mean, it's 75, 80, 85% of the country would say no. We, we should not still have, you know, if, if the polling, if the question being asked by pollsters is, we have 5,000 troops in Iraq. Should we still have 5,000 troops in Iraq? Of course, the majority of Americans are going to say no. I know you're most of this audience is passionate on this topic. I'm very passionate on this topic. We are in the extreme minority in in the in the American public, in the voting public. This is not on somebody's you know, they they do like the, you know, what what's what's your biggest issue? They'll do like a exit polling like, oh, you voted for Trump, well, what, what was the biggest thing? Was it the wall? Was it the tax cuts? Was it the, what like Middle Eastern wars are not anywhere close to the top of the lists of 99% of Americans on why they vote and who they vote for. It's just not. It's not even on a lot of people's radars. I mean, this isn't like World War II where everybody knew somebody fighting in Europe or fighting in the Pacific. Or they lost a brother or a father or, or somebody. Like, obviously, I know people that served and people that have been hurt in these wars and people that are still serving now. A lot of people don't. Like, a lot of people have never met an active-duty military member. It, so it's it's not personal to them the way larger wars have been. So, like, while the American public does oppose, say, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, it's not—it's it, a drop in the bucket. I mean, these, these it's not influencing who they vote for. It's not something that's on their mind. Um, so it's tough. It's tough. And so, okay, how can we influence President Trump into bringing people home? We start with a achievable goal. We start. I'm not saying we start small. I'm not saying start small. I'm saying we start with a narrow goal, a focused, narrow, achievable objective. Okay. I don't think that the Ron Paul, you know, we're in debt, can't afford it, bring every troop from around the planet home now. Okay. Whether I agree with that or not, is it completely irrelevant? That's not helpful. I, I just don't think that's helpful. Because one, that's not going to happen right now, and so what's the like? How about we actually get a W under our belt? Like we libertarians, we don't get very many wins. How about we actually try to win something? Let's let's make some progress. Let's move the ball forward one yard at a time. Start with the Afghanistan papers. Start with the Afghanistan papers. A lot of you guys have read the Afghanistan papers. I've tweeted out the links several times. That's what we need to do. Make sure the pres make sure President Trump is aware of the Afghanistan papers. I don't even think he read that article in the Washington Post. He probably didn't. I don't know if he's aware of the level of lies and corruption surrounding our 
almost 19-year, 18-and-a-half-year war in Afghanistan. Educate the American people. Force them to read the Afghanistan papers and face the facts that the federal government has been lying for 18-and-a-half years, that they never had an exit strategy. They didn't really have an enemy at first. They didn't know. Like, is it al-Qaeda? Is it the Taliban? Who should we sh- Who are we shooting at? Who's shooting at us? What's the goal here? What's the timetable? What's the end game? Nothing. Make the American people face the facts that any time the Pentagon or the White House, going back 18 and a half years, has reported any progress in Afghanistan, that they were lying. There's never been any progress made. Afghanistan's still Afghanistan. It's going to remain Afghanistan. It's been a shithole for decades and decades, and it's going to, it's going to always be that way. It's an unwinnable war without an exit strategy. Get that in front of President Trump. Use that. Use Afghanistan as a litmus test for if if you should vote for uh, for a candidate. I know that the person who asked this question uh, actually works in politics and and actually helps recruit candidates to run for office. And uh, you know, I don't think a litmus test is hey, should we you know bring back every single soldier serving in the Middle East right now? I don't know. How do you answer that question? It's irrelevant because it's not going to happen anyway. How about just the simple fact, have you read the Afghanistan papers? What do you want to do about it? And if the answer is, isn't is end the war in Afghanistan, that's probably not somebody we should be voting for or taking seriously. Um, so let's just start with a narrow goal. End the war in Afghanistan. It's America's longest war. We've achieved absolutely nothing. I, I mean, I, you can make the case we haven't achieved much in the Middle East generally, but smart people can make the case otherwise, right? Like they can say, well, we can't pull out of Iraq because Iran will come over, come in and take over Iraq and, and you know, they'll expand their influence in the region. Whatever. Like, I'm not saying I even agree with that. I think we should end the war in Iraq too, but it's an unpeachable case to make, unimpeachable case that we need to immediately end the war in Afghanistan. Like, I don't think anybody, anybody who should be taken seriously disagrees with that. And look at, like, political movements. Why was the Tea Party successful, but Occupy Wall Street was not? Occupy Wall Street started off with a narrow, focused message, and that is get money out of politics. Now, I disagree with that message, because I believe that political donations are are political speech, and I think any—I believe, like, campaign finance laws are unconstitutional, actually. I think you should be able to give as much money to a politician as you want. It's gross, and I wouldn't do it personally, but I do think it is protected speech under the First Amendment. But, hey, let's just say you're a lefty or or somebody who doesn't like money in politics— Okay, Occupy Wall Street started off with a coherent, narrow, not small, getting money. I'm not saying start small. Okay, like getting money out of politics is not a small goal, but it's a narrow goal. It's focused. And then they immediately were like, yeah, we're going to, our movement, Occupy Wall Street, get money out of politics. And then immediately they're like, and also communism and transgender stuff and what else? And, you know, like whatever. And they, they kept adding stuff. So, like, their rallies were just ridiculous. I mean, there, there was no clear message. It was convoluted. It was all over the place. And they're advocating for, like, 50 different things at the same time. Right? And, that, and then they immediately fell apart. <laughs> so, like, your movement needs a narrow focus. And just saying, let's withdraw the troops from everywhere. Just Let's just leave the Middle East right now, 100%. It was all a mistake. Even if I agree with that, it's completely irrelevant because we're not. that's not going to happen. So how about we just focus on ending the war in Afghanistan? Once we get that, we'll move on to the next one. But we need a narrow focus, an achievable goal. And we can win on Afghanistan. The, the Washington Post 
God bless him for once, actually did some journalisming and <laughs> exposed the Pentagon and, and the United States federal government on their lies and hypocrisy in Afghanistan for the last 18 and a half years. That's a fight we can win. Let's get every single man and woman serving out of Afghanistan. Then we can move on to Iraq. Then we can move on to Syria, you know, wherever. But we need a, not a small, we, I'm not saying start small. I'm not saying we shouldn't swing for the fences. But let's have a narrow focus, a purposeful focus on, in my opinion, Afghanistan and ending that war. I think that's, you know, what, once we get some wins under our belt, you know, <laughs> look, libertarians are going crazy that President Trump took out General Soleimani. That's not the hill to die on. Like, yes, I get it. We shouldn't be in Iraq. I agree. Killing the world's worst terrorist is not the hill to die on. Like, I just don't think, like, I like Rand Paul and I like Mike Lee and they're kind of right. But no, let's not, stop, stop. Don't, stop it, stop. That is not the hill to die on saying Trump has too many war powers and we shouldn't be doing anything in Iraq. And so he shouldn't have killed the world's worst terrorist. You're not going to win that. You're not going to win that fight. Now, the American public may be against perpetual wars in the Middle East, but they're not against killing an Iranian terrorist. So you're not going to win that. You're just wasting everybody's time. So let's start on an achievable, narrow, focused goal, like getting the troops out of Afghanistan. Like that's the way to do this. Uh, okay, one more question, and it is on the topic of the Middle East. It's from another friend of mine. Another great question. This is kind of from—I don't know if these questions are related or if they're both just asked at the same time. I'm not sure. Um, but this is kind of from the other side of the argument. Uh, is bringing troops home the answer? We've had troops in Germany forever, but that's not a war. The challenge is that no one in the West understands the Middle East. Well, maybe a few people, but very few. Um, yeah, and there's there's a lot there. Um, and like my answer to these two, two questions are connected. Like, yes, like I don't think as much as I am sympathetic to the argument, I don't think just bring all the troops home, like the Ron Paul, like bring every serviceman home immediately. Okay. One, that's not going to happen. Two, are we really complaining? Like we're really, like we're comparing South Korea and Germany and Japan to Afghanistan. Okay, like, what are we talking about here? Like, we're talking about we're having two different conversations, and I think a lot of libertarians, my fellow libertarians, they're they're not doing themselves a service by broadening out the argument to everything. Like, bring every everyone in uniform should immediately be recalled to the United States. Okay, like, you're not going to win that argument, and even if I agree, like, what's the point? Like, why? Like, why waste our time? Let's we have to be incremental with this. We have to pick our battles. And you're right. Like, obviously, we've had troops in Japan and in Germany since the end of World War II. I think, I mean, there will come a point where some of our post-World War II policies do need to change. Like, for instance, and my grandfather who served in the Pacific in the 40s is rolling over in his grave listening to me say this, but, like, I think it's time that we lift restrictions on Japan's military. I think it's 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 high time that we let Japan get nuclear weapons. I mean, they're within range of North Korea's ballistic missiles. They're they're across the pond from China, which is the, our you know greatest 
uh, geopolitical threat and Japan sitting there with no nukes. So like, I think it's time for some of these post-World War II regulations to be lifted, let Japan uh, have whatever military they want. They have a stable government. They're a Western-style-ish kind of country at this point. Um, Imperial Japan is never coming back, you know, let them. But, like, you know, obviously we're not at war with Germany because we have troops stationed over there. And Germany and other Eastern European countries want us to have a presence in Eastern Europe because it's a check against Russian aggression and blah, 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 blah. It's not the same thing as just attempting to occupy Afghanistan for 20 years, you know. It's obviously different. And that just goes back to how I answered the last question, like, why? Like, I... Like, I understand the libertarian arguments for just bringing everybody home right now. But, like, what? why? Like, if, if it's never going to happen, why waste your time? Focus. Like, how about we just focus in on Afghanistan? That is, we can swing the public. We have the Afghanistan papers published in the Washington Post. Let's focus on that. I have to imagine 90% of the American public and even probably a majority of elected officials would support ending the war in Afghanistan. Less focus there. Not this whole, you know, not our problem. We're isolationists. Pull every man, woman, and child overseas back to the mainland immediately. That's okay. Like, that's not going to happen. What's the point in, in repeating that? Now, with the caveat, we are $23 trillion in debt. Okay. So, like, even with our troops in Germany and Japan and South Korea and everywhere, like, we, we're not just going to tax cuts. We're not going to GDP our way out of all this debt. Like, we will need to drastically cut spending. And yes, sorry, guys, the military too. You know, conservatives say, you know, we need to cut spending on everything except the military. Let's blow out military spending. Like, no, 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 no. Can't do that. Everyone, including the Pentagon, is going to have to tighten their belt if we're going to survive as a nation. So our troop levels around the world will by necessity not i'm not even making the libertarian argument i'm just making the common sense fiscal argument we're going to have to bring a lot of people home because we just can't afford it obviously i would love to audit the dod and figure i mean you're going to find a lot of waste fraud and abuse in the dod budget uh just like every other every other budget in the federal government so um you're going to find a lot there that can eliminate some spending but yeah we are going to need to tighten our belt and bring people home from places like you know, South Korea, Germany, places like that, just based on fiscal necessity. But, right, like, I get your point, and I agree. Let's focus on something we can achieve and not just whine. Let's not be those libertarians that everybody else makes fun of, you know? Like, let's actually focus on something we can win, not just scream, bring them all home. It's like, okay, like, even if I agree, knock it off. How about we bring them home from Afghanistan first? And see what happens. See what we can do after that. Let's get just let's just get a win. We have not won. <laughs> Libertarians have not won on foreign policy since Coolidge. So let's get a W under our belt before we, uh, you know, continue with our delusions of grandeur. Um, all right. Hope that helps. This was fun. Let's do it again soon. Uh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for all the great feedback I've been getting. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, I uh, I'll be back on Wednesday with Bradley Devlin. Uh, host of the Elephant in the Room podcast. That'll be fun. It's been a while since I've chatted with Brad, so uh, that'll be fun. Tune in, you know, same time, 1 p.m. ish <laughs> on Wednesday. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. I love you. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.